0: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that covers issues related to cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we take a look at the latest news stories including how to build a second CBD in a big city, the story of Parramatta. We talk to prominent transport writer Alan Davies from Crikey.com about how a bikeway in Melbourne is filling a missing link but it has a few flaws. And we road test the Suzuki Ignis. It is classified as a small SUV, but it has no heritage from any four-wheel drive, and it doesn't pretend to be anything but a funky urban car. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a spirited look at stories including an engineer who pointed out traffic signal flaws is fine for unlicensed engineering. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, you can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news.
1: Parramatta is 23 kilometres to the west of the Sydney CBD and it has been envisaged for the last 40 years that it would be Sydney's second CBD area. Finally, actions to achieve this are getting underway. At a recent forum, a number of key issues were presented. Much was said about the new light rail system which will serve the centre, university campuses and the Westmead hospital complexes. But it is a relatively local system Unfortunately, extending the light rail was seen as being very expensive, especially because this is a rail-based system. While much of the transport is done on road, including buses, the majority of transport proposals were on non-road options. And the public transport Opal card works well once you have arranged to get one. It was suggested that we should combine your driver's license and Opal card to make it more ubiquitous.
0: Being distracted while driving because of your smartphone is a major concern. In many cases, the alarm is focused on young people, but the recent fatality statistics from Australia suggest the death rate is increasing most significantly in the older age categories. Practically everyone is using their phones while driving. A recent survey showed that US motorists with smartphones used handheld devices in 88 out of every 100 trips. Over three-quarters of drivers have smartphones, which means there are about 600 million trips involving distracted driving in the US each day. There are 16 states with bans on using phones while driving, and six of those states are among the 10 least distracted. However, Vermont, the most distracted state, also has a cell phone ban.
1: In Great Britain, Nissan has adopted old technology to try and reduce phone use while driving. Their signal shield is a prototype compartment within the armrest of a Nissan Duke that is lined with a Faraday cage which blocks electromagnetic fields. It stops incoming and outgoing calls as well as Bluetooth and Wi-Fi connections. This still requires a specific and intentional action on behalf of the user which they can reverse at any time. So should we mandate that phones cannot be used or is there some middle ground? Hyundai has just launched a new model of their i30 hatch onto the Australian market. The upper spec models have driver attention alert, which continually monitors how the vehicle is being driven. This feature is more usually associated with expensive cars. It hasn't happened yet, but could such an attention alert system be linked to the car's connectivity? If you start to drive badly when you're on the phone, Could we get it to actually turn the phone off? For over a
0: decade, the number of petrol stations in the UK and the US has been slowly but very steadily declining. One of the biggest issues is that the price of the real estate they sit on in urban areas is worth so much that a single storey operation is never likely to produce the profits that other activities like housing can achieve. In the 50s in Britain, service stations were associated with restaurants, more recently with convenience stores, and they have, in most cases, no mechanics on site. Electric vehicles may further reduce the emphasis on service stations, while hydrogen vehicles may also, to some extent... Autonomous vehicles could have a huge impact, because when they get to the stage of travelling on their own, they could go to a charge location without you having to be in the vehicle, and so there will be no incidental
1: shopping activities in those cases. The name Brabham may once again grace vehicles on the track, and even on the road. Sir Jack's son David, who owns the rights to the name, is behind an ambitious proposal to take control of a Formula One team and then develop a spin-off supercar business along the lines of McLaren. As reported in Go Auto, the new Brabham outfit might make a bid for the Force India Formula One team, whose Indian owners are in serious legal trouble. Go Auto points out that if they were to make a road-going supercar it would go up against McLaren's current operation founded by former Brabham mechanic Ron Dennis. Sydney-born Sir Jack is best known as the first Formula One driver to win a world championship in a car of his own design in 1966. And that has been the news.
0: Later this year, the Victorian Government will open the $18 million, 1.7 kilometre missing link in the bike network between Tarabin Creek and Yarra Trails. This is good, but is there room for improvement? Just because it is to do with active transport, have we really maximised the benefits for as many users as possible? Alan Davies is a prolific writer on urban transport issues. We've interviewed him in the past on the program, and he can be found in Crikey Media as The Urbanist. He joins us on the line now. Alan, you wrote a lovely piece about this potential extension. you talked about it as being a freeway for bikes. What did you mean by that?
2: Oh hi David well the way it's been designed um, because it passes through pro- private property some of which have had to be compulsorily resumed um, to build the link, it's got a creek on one side and it's got and it's fenced on the other side. So you get on at the top the northern end and um, you can't get on or off until you get to the southern end. kilometres later. The problem that presents, although it passes through a golf course for a lot of its length, part of its alignment, it goes past residential areas. And the difficulty is that the people living in those areas won't have ready access to the um, cycle path. Um, You know, as I was saying, it's really just one end or the other end. Be your choices.
0: It tends to make it then a bit of a fast freeway style of bikeway, which maybe you have to go out of your way to get onto. That's a concern to you, isn't it?
2: It is, and that's what's upsetting the residents. They have a longer journey to get to the start of it, although if you're on a bike, that's not such a huge problem. Um, it's just that it's going to be a shared walking and cycling trail. So for pedestrians, that, that's, that's uh, off putting to have to walk a considerable distance to get there. But on top of that, and this is a really big problem, they have to cross a, um, a road bridge, which is four lanes, very busy traffic, quite fast, um, and the footpath is very, very narrow. And so parents are going to be reluctant to let their children walk across it, much less let their children cycle across it.
0: A chain is as weak as, or as strong as its weakest link in some ways.
2: Yes, that's a good point.
0: That notion of mixing bikes and pedestrians, that's not easy. And if it becomes just a freeway-style bikeway, that conflict tends to be enhanced, doesn't it?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I refer to it as a freeway because of the fact that, like a freeway, it's got limited access, Hmm. which just seems really nonsensical given that – this isn't a standard freeway requires very expensive ramps and a lot of room uh, space to be devoted to interchanges. Well, that's just not the case with a a bicycle path. It's a lot of effort for someone to walk or have to pedal to get to a path. so it seems logical that you make access, which is pretty cheap as easy as possible that you make them porous. Uh, I wasn't thinking of it as a freeway so much in terms of it being high speed i mean there is an issue there of the relative differences in speed of pedestrians and cyclists. I mean, we know that. we've It's a lot of complaints in Melbourne. You had a lot of complaints in Sydney. I recall a few years ago, a media personality, Jane Caro, writing an article in the Sydney Morning Herald complaining about speeding cyclists whizzing past her as she's, uh, as she's walking. So it's a universal problem. I don't think it's going to be any greater on this particular stretch just because it's got limited access, really. Because it's only really an issue when there's pedestrians and um, cyclists in close proximity to each other. But it's something that is going to have to be addressed as more and more people take up cycling, more and more people take up walking. You know, we're more conscious of exercise, a whole raft of reasons for that. This difference is, you know, is becoming more difficult.
0: There's some many issues there, Alan, I'd like to take up in the future. But for the moment, I thank you very much for your time.
2: OK, and good to talk to you again, David.
0: And that was Alan Davies, who writes as the urbanist for Crikey Media on their website. And he has joined us before, and we hope that we will be uh, talking to in the future. This is Overdrive Across Australia. The new Suzuki Ignis is officially categorised as a small SUV, but that suggests it has come down from the four-wheel drive style of car. That's not it. It's clearly an urban car that can fit into tight spaces, sits high, not to get over rough terrain, but to have headroom and be easy to get into. It is tall and narrow, but it's not gawky. It is inherently box-like in one way, yet it comes together as a package. Perhaps it is the spiritual successor to things like the Mazda Metro of the late 90s and early 2000s, but its looks is a little less bar fridge and a lot more funky. Andrew Moore, Suzuki Australian General Manager of Automobiles, joins us on the line now to talk about it. Andrew, thanks for your time. No problems, David. Is there marketing advantages in
3: calling it an SUV? Oh, SUV is obviously the boom segment at the moment in the marketplace. There's more SUVs being sold than passenger cars in Australia. And I think uh, in the light segment, there's no real SUV vehicle and the Ignis has a, a high ride height. It's actually got a higher uh, ground clearance than um, than the Suzuki Vitara. So that's a, a positive for the urban jungle from an SUV perspective. And we, we add to that the high seating position, which gives uh, drivers better visibility, which is one of the key reasons why people buy SUVs these days. So, I think there's definitely functional benefits of the car that, that link to why people buy SUVs. So I think it helps the consumer in, yeah. uh, in calling it an SUV. The ride height is to get over speed humps, I presume? Speed humps, gutters, but yeah. some people do go on dirt roads and so forth. So that, that definitely helps if you've got uh, you know, irrigated roads.
0: Okay, it has 66 kilowatts from a 1.2-litre four-cylinder engine, five-speed manual CVT automatic, but even some crusty old journalists with a racing pedigree like driving it. Does that matter? It's easy to park, but is handling still important? Is the the feel of the car?
3: We think uh, the Ignis drives really well for an economical small car. The 1.2-litre engine is actually with the new dual-jet, technology which means that the engine runs at a higher compression ratio where normally you would need 95 RON fuel to run at such a compression ratio so this gives better acceleration which is something I'm I'm sure you've noticed when you're driving it mm. But also uh, you know, Suzuki prides itself on a fun drive and uh, we, we've seen it historically with the Swift sure handling and the Ignis does that as well. So it's, it's good for cornering around town and you know, it's a bit of a fun drive as well.
0: Inside it's uh, very bright. It also has certain ways you can personalise it. It's not just the dour interior, is it?
3: No, not at all. It's something Suzuki's pioneered with the Suzuki Vitara where we had personalisation as a key feature in the interior, and the, the engineers have taken it a step further with the Ignis. You can, uh, well, firstly, it comes standard in the, the white and uh, grey vehicles with an orange interior, which is a bit different. But you can also change that to a red interior or a, a blue interior with the door handles and the, the area around the, the, the gear stick on the car. So it gives consumers the opportunity to have a bit of fun. And it's something they can change maybe six months down the track or 12 months down the track, so you're not stuck with one uh, look and colour for the for the rest of your ownership
0: i was going to ask that because it's done at the dealer which has the great advantage to mean that you don't have to order something that has to go down a production line and be put together exactly how you want it but you can order those sort of color panels and things uh interior from the dealer so yeah i guess i can change if my mood changes absolutely
3: that's a huge advantage because many european vehicles offer a a number of different choices but because they're done at the factory a customer may have to wait for six months or more if that vehicle's not in stock whereas with the the Suzuki personalisation because it's done at the dealership the dealer only needs to carry those parts in stock and they can change it on the, the, the car that they have right there so It just means it's a lot more timely for the customer to personalise their car.
0: Eight-inch touchscreen, satellite navigation app, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Connectivity is really important. This is at the lower end of the price scale, yet these are the features that have become really quite critical, particularly perhaps for an urban market.
3: Absolutely. Look, Suzuki vehicles appeal to a lot of younger buyers and it's something we identified more than five years ago. We were the first brand to bring in satellite navigation in a sub-$20,000 vehicle and it's the theme we've continued with all our new models. Is it just
0: a young market or do you see yourself or are you succeeding in selling across a broader age spectrum?
3: It's a very interesting question that because we've actually found that Probably about 50% of our buyers are actually, actually 45 plus. And what those buyers love is the higher ride height in the vehicle. Yep, It's easier to get in and out of. The doors open almost to a 90 degree. The
0: ANCAP rating to get five stars in the future, they will make that automatic emergency braking will have to be standard. Is that some, was well, something you don't have at the moment? Would you like to have it or do you think you need to have it?
3: It's something that um, Suzuki Australia is very keen to have. And we've been talking to the factory about it. There's some testing that's involved. We do have it available overseas in Europe. Um, there's some testing that's involved to so be done in Australia to make sure it's suitable for the local market conditions. So we're currently investigating that testing and it's something we'll, we'll look to have in the future. In the near future, do you think? I haven't got a timing on that at this stage.
0: Andrew, that's lovely to talk to you about. A fun little car, I've got to say that. And I appreciate your time and a chance to chat about it. Thanks again. No worries, David. Thank you. And that's Andrew Moore, who is the General Manager for Automobiles for Suzuki Australia, talking about their small entry in the market, a small SUV called the Ignis. This is Overdrive across Australia. And finally, for the program, let's get our two friends on the line and talk some quirky news. Welcome to Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, Brian, you, in fact, have a story to start us.
4: Certainly. Um, not many American stories don't end up at free speech and the First, <laughs> the first Amendment or of their constitution. And this is an interesting story about traffic engineering and a, a person who's trying to do the right thing and being um, really held up by the system. So a man called Mats Jarlström, he's a Swedish electronics engineer, And he's been living in the States for about 20 years. And after his wife got a ticket for driving through a yellow light, he uh, realized that there was a flaw in the algorithms and software that uh, control traffic signals. So he did a bit of an exploration of the mathematics and he came up with a formula which would improve the way you manage the transition from yellow to red in order to allow a driver who's turning to actually slow down and turn through a yellow light without being pinged for going through a red light so in 2015 he um he sort of shared this idea with the media and traffic technology folk but to his surprise the Oregon State Board of Examiners for Engineering and Land Surveying uh, in the state where he lives they opened an investigation and a year later they found that he had engaged in unlicensed engineering and fined him $500. Now He's, uh, he's not given up despite the fine because he thinks there's quite a bit to this. So uh, even though he's risking another $1,000 in fines, 6000 in civil fines, 6250 in criminal fines and potentially a year in jail, he's actually taking this to the ITE journal and will be presenting his ideas at some conferences. So, Jarlstrom's not giving up despite uh, the threat of these fines. He's, uh, the, the traffic engineering profession is uh, pretty keen on this idea and sees some value in it. So, he's uh, approached the uh, Institute of Transportation Engineers, the ICE. He's submitting an article to their journal and we uh, will be talking more at conferences about it. So, there's a, a risk, though, that um, the practice of engineering or the regulation of it would prevent a useful idea like this from being proposed by someone who isn't registered to practice as an engineer in his state.
0: Now, talking about traffic control, the genius behind the Sydney Coordinated Adaptive Traffic System, SCATS, which has been so successful, I think it's been sold to 135 countries around the world. The guy who was the genius behind it was a bloke by the name of Arthur Sims. Arthur had no tertiary qualifications. In fact... The Australian Institute of Traffic Planning and Management, which I do some stuff for, started up really around the time when this was developing so that people who were not qualified as an engineer it couldn't become in the institution of engineers or the institution of traffic engineers i could still join an institute because they were such a critical part of the developing technology it was a time of course of when computers coming in so this notion that a degree which often becomes essential to be part of an institute is really a rather narrow to say the least Mm. yes good good thing he didn't live in oregon well, the funny thing is, Arthur's father, Arthur's father was a boiler maker at the Redfern uh, Locomotive Railway Workshops. And now, fairly recently, the workshops moved out, and the whole area—well, they moved out a while ago—but the whole area has been turned into a modern technological park for various organisations that are developing the future technologies. One of the rooms is now named Arthur Sims.
4: Oh, is it really? Mm. That's fabulous! Isn't that a lovely story? I met him uh, when I was a young transport tref- planner. He was a heavy smoker and, of course, um, but, but very intuitive in the way he worked with uh, traffic signal systems. A mm. So it'll, it'll have tobacco-stained walls. Yeah. <laughs> they yellow.
5: I, 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 I think this story, is, it, it just makes the Oregon government just look really petty because basically they were embarrassed by this research that this guy did. Yes.
4: And they found something petty to punish him for. Yes. So well, of course, not coming out of this looking very good. Yes. And of course, the, the free speech element is, is that uh, Yelstrom's um, engaged an organization to uh, challenge this with the, um, the uh, Oregon State on the basis that the regulations are preventing his respect?
0: It's absurd in many ways. There there used to be a time when I worked in the NRMA and we would often try to promote road safety and talk about road rules. One time the legal fraternity rang up and said, no, 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 only we can do that because we are qualified. And the point is not to do with are we helping, it's to do with am I in control and can I get all the business?
5: Yes. Yes.
0: Alan Finlay said of Arthur Sims, he he was one of the most practical, hands-on people I've ever worked with, and he had an amazing ability to understand likely driver behaviour in response to traffic signal operations. Practical and hand-on, that's what an engineer used to be, didn't it? It it wasn't necessarily Mm, someone who was qualified. You know, the train driver used to be called an engineer, so a range of them, and it's not to do with
4: pretentiousness, it's to do with an earthy practicality.
5: Indeed, David. Something we should all have a bit of.
4: Too much is done now uh, inside um, the office, you know, and and on PCs. And and I heard a lovely quote from uh, someone I I don't know who said, uh, the answer is outside the building. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right, Errols, you have a tale for us.
5: Yes. Well, um, there's a little bit of engineering in in this one. Um, If you're after the next big thing in toys for girls, look no further than commuter Barbie She's always late, she hates man spreaders, her hair's always wet and her hands smell like pennies. Uh, she comes complete with accessories including Metro Card, a Starbucks Grande Macchiato, designer headphones and a copy of the New Yorker. Hmm. And if you're wondering why we're talking about this, it's because it's a little bit of a joke that got out of hand.
4: So there's not a um, real commuter barbie, is there? Somebody's no, 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 a, there isn't it was, it was, it was... version of it.
5: It was started as a joke between two friends, and eventually they uh, sort of rolled each other up to the point where they actually decided to make one and actually had to create
4: and construct some of the accessories and things for oh, it's her. It's awesome. I, I love the look of it, and I think uh, <laughs> it's something that Mattel should release. Karina
0: Shay' a, a sex and relationship editor. At cosmopolitan.com was one of the people that got it together. Gentlemen, you may remember a week or so ago I had a, a discussion and I got Kanye West's name wrong, which clearly proved I was not in the mainstream of understanding popular culture. I read some of the comments about this and it is incomprehensible to me, but I have done some research. They mentioned that she would have, of course, a cliff bar which is a processed snack food, like oatmeal, yes. raisin, walnut, which sounds healthy. Like an energy bar. Mm. Mm. They also have chocolate almond fudge, which is, means she's probably fat. Is that uh, <laughs> Urban Earphones? They also use the expression BFF, which means best friends forever. It also means something else that I better not uh, talk about now, but the the first two words are big fat. Uh, it mentions a mini strand tote. Which of course is a bag, and Mini Strand is a brand name. It mentions a Procrasti Walk, which is a procrastination walk, which is apparently may, makes you. These are all just in a few short comments. I'm really struggling with this. S- so, so, so is that is that a walk you're putting off? <laughs> <laughs> Walk. It's a walk you you take in order to put something else off. Now, people, I have read, and apparently people are totally relating to this doll. I looked it up, and uh, there's a number of Barbie things. Amy Schumer is going to play Barbie in a live action movie. This is important things for you to know. I wouldn't have thought.
5: Right. I wouldn't have. Th- I, I didn't think any any woman existed that was anatomically equivalent. Well, to a Barbie doll. There's a, a woman who
0: wants to be brainless like Barbie, and there is a human Barbie, Valeria, Lukyanova from uh, some of the Eastern European country who wants to, uh, who rants on, but she has made herself look dead like Barbie. You know the expression, you're looking a bit plasticky. This is not a metaphor. This is a reality. That's exactly...
4: She's had a bunch of plastic surgery to look like Barbie. What would a Barbie... Look like a child's toy.
0: They say she rides on the subway. Is that to travel or as a vagrant to get off the street? Is she poor or an... (laughs)
4: there's not much about what a job might be but she's probably you know no. some, some kind of ex-startup isn't she Errol?
5: yeah 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 oh, she's she's definitely well to do so you know she uh she has the designer headphones which she has to take off to hear the cat calls
4: and that's the um, point because um people who use the, the the underground in new york for example are not just sort of. All commuters, no. they are the, the well-to-do.
0: Well, she reads the latest in trendy bestsellers, so the uh, spiel goes, which means she's vacuous. But, I mean, if she's going to go on the train, will she fall asleep and snore? Does she have sweaty stains? Is she angry? A glazed look in her eye? Just works on a phone, doesn't do any real work? I mean, if it's going to be a Barbie-type commuter doll, it's got to be real. That's my only point. Yes, well, certainly yes.
4: she's got to put the handbag on the seat next to her, hasn't she? Ah, yes, yeah. it does.
0: Gentlemen, uh, Errol and Brian, thank you very much for your time. Bye. And this has been overdrive my thanks to brian smith andrew moore alan davies errol smith david campbell and paul just for their great help during the program overdrive can be heard across australia on the community radio network you can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on itunes or your favorite podcast service i'm david brown thanks for listening